Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Red Leg Nation Radio podcast. Uh, I'm Chad Dotson. Joining me again today, our good friend, Jason Linden. How are you today, Jason? I am splendiferous. Well, I'm surprised because I thought you were a little upset with me because we got started recording this a little later than than I expected. And I, I, I've got a terrible reason. I'm going to explain to you why I was late, but it's really not a good reason. i got to warn you. I, I'm excited to hear how bad of a reason it is. <laughs> oh, it's bad. It's bad. Uh, I had to watch the, uh, the end of the Georgetown-DePaul college basketball game. Is that awful? Chad, you don't, you don't have to do that. You don't have to hate yourself like that. Listen, you know, I'm a Hoya. Uh, I'm proud of it most of the time. And over the years, it's been fun to, to be a, a Georgetown guy. But, man, if they're going to just keep insist on losing at home at the buzzer to DePaul, they're not going to get a high seat in the NIT, Jason. I mean, you might as well just watch Virginia all the time then, right? Oh, well, they're going pretty rough right now, too. So I don't know if I want to talk about them either. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought this is not 1983, but for some reason I had to take an extra couple of minutes to watch the last shot of the Georgetown-DePaul game. So um, Mark Aguirre was not playing in it for DePaul, and Alonzo Mourning was not playing in it for Georgetown. So, uh, anyway, we're not here to talk about basketball, Jason. I want to talk about baseball. Why, why do you always insist on talking about basketball? Yes, I, I do often insist on talking about college athletics. <laughs> yes. Now, this is, the, this is the Red Leg Nation radio podcast, and we're here to talk about Cincinnati Reds baseball. I want to go ahead and mention off the top, um, if you've already downloaded the show, you may have an idea where you can uh, – how you can get it if you're just listening through the uh, redlegnation.com you may not know it. i just wanted to say that um, red leg nation radio has uh, always been available on itunes it's now available on the google play store just search for red leg nation radio it's available tune in radio if that's your thing uh, and should be maybe by the time this goes up it should be available on stitcher so available in all a number of places jason your voice is getting ready to go out to the world talking about reds baseball Fabulous. <laughs> Jason, you seem to be in a pretty uh, upbeat, optimistic mood recently when it comes to the Cincinnati Reds. At least uh, if, if your piece today at RedLegNation.com is any indication. Uh, where'd that come from? It's springtime, Chad. And, and optimism is eternal in spring in baseball. Uh, you know, it's the best thing about spring training. The Reds were not good the last couple of years. We can- Wait. What? I know it's hard. I've tried to forget it too, uh, but the hope springs eternal, as they say, and you know there's a chance the Reds could be good this year. It's maybe not a probability, but it's a possibility, right? I mean, if you even to give my pure honest assessment, I won't be surprised like at all if they're a 500 team this year. I predicted on Twitter a couple weeks ago they'd be 81 and 81, and got uh, got some pushback on that prediction. Uh, and uh, as if it were impossible. I don't think it's impossible. Maybe I'm being too optimistic uh, because it's the spring. And and I know that the piece that you wrote that we're going to talk about was the best-case scenario piece, and that's wildly optimistic by design. But I don't think it's terribly out of uh, the realm of possibility this team could be 500. I mean, I I think that's within sort of an expected range of expected outcomes, in my opinion. No, I agree. You know, I think – it happens often enough. We're all familiar with it. Houston did it a few years ago where a team goes from being terrible to being pretty good in a hurry. And it typically happens in teams that are going young and have, you know, really pretty good farm systems and, and 
you know, guys kind of grow up at the same time and, and enough guys pan out at once that it makes them into a decent team. And, I, and you know, the Reds are a really pretty good candidate for that. I think everybody recognizes they have a good um, farm system. And it's just – and a lot of guys are ready to graduate. So if they graduate and, uh, you know, don't flunk out of college in their first semester, to, to stretch a metaphor, then uh, the Reds should be – and there's no reason to think they can't be a solid team this year. Well, no one's suggesting they're going to be the Cubs. And I, it really hurts me even still to say that. But uh, by using the Cubs as an example, they were a team that maybe were a year ahead of their own schedule because a lot of those guys graduated and a lot of them uh, – you know, sort of matured a little bit quicker than expected, and it it moved their uh, their plan, their pi- their their timeline up a little bit. Uh, today, Dick Williams, Reds general manager, Dick Williams, Jason, I think you knew that. Dick Williams uh, was quoted as saying, and "I thought this was interesting. The players are going to tell us this season as we get into it exactly where we are in the life cycle. I don't want the players in the clubhouse thinking about it being a rebuild." For them, it's a season. We're going to go out, win games, and play. They shouldn't have any preconceived notion about what the team is supposed to be like this year or where it is in the life cycle. They can just control how prepared they are, how well they play. The more they do that, the better they do that, the more we can accelerate. And as uh, as Nick Kirby, one of our other writers at, at Red League Nation, said, why not the Reds? Why not the Reds? And, and, and what you said today is, let's just be wildly optimistic. And... What what in terms of wins and losses? And that's that's a difficult question. But in terms of wins and losses, what is this wildly optimistic best case scenario you're proposing? I mean, best case scenario, they push the Cubs. That's you know, and that's the in my piece. Basically, the assumption was that everybody, uh, you know, uh, Patrick Jeter, who's another writer at Leg Nation, kind of commented to this effect, and he hit the nail on the head. Basically, I was predicting that everybody kind of approaches their 75th percentile, which is to say it, they have the kind of performance where you're like, hey, he had a good year, and it doesn't necessarily blow your mind. Like It's not like, I never thought he could do that, but it's like you're, you're sort of pleasantly surprised at how well uh, a player did. And then if that happens for literally everybody in the lineup, as is true with any MLB team, um, all of a sudden the Reds become really quite formidable. Right, and, and, and I want to go through – Player by player, like you did in your in your piece in just a moment, but uh, I, what you are proposing not un, completely unrealistic. It's probably unrealistic to think that everybody is going to reach, you know, uh, their seventy fifth percentile. Uh, but it's not impossible. I mean, what you've proposed for each of these players is something that everybody. You don't have to squint too hard to see. Yeah, I think he could do that this year. Everything went right. Yeah, I think he could do that. It's not like you're predicting Billy Hamilton to hit sixty two home runs, although. Billy Hamilton could probably do that. 61 of them would be inside the park home runs, but still. He just has to decide that he wants to. Exactly. He's just got to decide that. So, so you know, why not the Reds? You've been saying – you wrote a piece early last year. If I, I can't remember exactly when it was, but you wrote a piece, I think, for Cincinnati Magazine where you said, hey, listen, this, uh, there's no reason the Reds can't be second place next year. Well, it, do I, am I remembering that correctly? No, you are. And, I mean, you know, that's as much a function as I, of the fact that I think with the exception of the Cubs – um, the Central is in for a down year this year as it is anything else because um, kind of everybody is is kind of in different stages. You know, I think the Cardinals and the Pirates are kind of on the way down. Uh, the Reds and the Brewers may be on the way up a little bit. So, you know, it's, it's one of those deals where those four teams, again, if I'm being realistic, I wouldn't be surprised if all four of those teams were within about five games of each other and significantly back of the Cubs. But it's it's completely 
possible for me to imagine the Reds being being the second place team in the Central, or uh, kind of in the neighborhood of five hundred. Yeah, the second place team could still be you know seventeen games out or twenty games out if the Cubs run yeah. away with it. Uh, but still, second place sounds good. Uh, you know, I think that even eighty one and eighty one, which is what I kind of it's kind of predicted is it, even that's optimistic. I think uh, it could it could go wrong. We talk about the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is uh, we saw that, a little bit of that uh, in the first half of last year. I think uh, with Votto playing awful and just the Reds being miserable. But I don't see any reason why the Reds aren't going to have a more competitive team this year and be more fun to watch all the way around. Uh, pitching, bullpen, defense, uh, the lineup, everywhere. Uh, it's just to me, I'm you know they're not going to. I want them to win World Series. I want them to be fighting for pennants, but okay. Mo- most teams aren't going to win the World Series every year. I think only one can win the World Series. So I think there are a lot of reasons to be uh, optimistic about this team and to look forward to watching them. I, th- I, have, I think it's going to be the most fun season to watch since, you know, probably 2012 or 13. Yeah. I mean, I'll be shocked if they have a record like they had last year. Oh, me I, too. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, I think. What we really saw is about from All-Star break of 2015 to All-Star break of 2016 was, okay, we're acknowledging there's a problem and we're bottoming out. And boy, that was a full season worth of just abysmal, terrible, awful baseball. But, you know, at the All-Star break or, or right before, they kind of shed a lot of, a lot of things and a lot of players who were, whose time had, had come and gone and, um, yeah, and they they were a better team, and they weren't like a great team after the All Star break, but they were significantly better. Yeah, I, and and I want to get into more specifics about what you not predicted, but what you uh, uh, you know envisioned uh, in just a second here. But I I think that this year's team, there are very few guys that you can look at and say, oh, this is a guy that doesn't have a chance to be around for the next good Reds team. Whereas in the last two three years, there's a ton of guys that you looked at and say, well, this guy's not going to be around. What can we get for him? And, and there aren't that many of those this year. And, and to me, so that's exciting to find out which, which of the guys that we do have are going to be, you know, pushing their way in and, uh, and being sort of a, uh, maybe a red that we're going to remember as a, as a member of a really good team. To me, that's, that's, and we're being crazy optimistic here. I know, but, um, that, that to me is the, the, the going to be as fun to watch as anything, which of these guys are going to grab that brass ring and, and grab the opportunity. You feel you feel the same way about that? Oh, completely agree. I mean, this is the year where we get to see who actually can do it. Yeah. Well, let's let's go through your uh, uh, best case scenario, and that's literally the, the the name of the piece you wrote. The best case scenario, and, and what you said was, "This is not what not what I'm predicting. This is what if everything goes like we want it to. What if everything goes as it it could reasonably could." But everybody does well at the same time. So you begin with the lineup, and of course, at the top of the lineup, Billy Hamilton. And in your uh, in your dream scenario here, now, I hesitate to even call it a dream because I think everyone would agree that Hamilton can do what you've uh, proposed here, Willie. I don't know. And, and it was a two seventy average, three forty on base percentage, three sixty slugging, a five uh, WAR, five wins above replacement season for Billy Hamilton at the top of the lineup. Um, that's that's an all star right there, and it's a guy that's getting close to uh, being an MVP candidate, in my opinion, if if he could get those numbers. Yeah, I mean that's you know the the thing there with Hamilton is it's just the on base percentage. I mean, if he gets on base, basically if he walks as much as he walked last year, 
and you know especially kind of in the second half um and if he stays healthy all year like this is this is an attain an easily attainable you know this probably isn't really even 75th percentile for Hamilton it's probably more like the 60th or the 65th percentile I don't think anybody who's paid any attention over the last few years especially with his defense and base running would be surprised if he put up a five uh, a five win season I, I think that's a completely possible thing he was worth almost four wins in 2014 so uh, and that was while getting on base at a 292 clip so I, I, yeah certainly within the realm of possibility. Well, and people are going to say, oh, it's another year of us saying, I saw this on Twitter a couple of times, uh, another year of everybody saying Hamilton leading off if he could only get on base. And, okay, I understand that's been the knock on him, and with good reason for the last few years. Last year, if you eliminate Votto from the conversation, because Votto is just all world, how many Cincinnati Reds had a higher on-base percentage than Billy Hamilton. How many of the, of the guys that had any regular time with the Reds had a higher on-base percentage than Billy Hamilton last year with the Reds? Other than was, Votto. Eliminate Votto. One, wasn't it? Wasn't it Barnhart? Tucker Barnhart was the only one. So, you know, and he was, uh, it was a 321 on-base percentage, I think, if I remember correctly. I haven't looked it up here, which is not, well, we need more from, than that from a, an, on, a leadoff hitter. But, you know, it's trending upward. He's going to be 26 this year. So uh, he's been, uh, Trending upward, I guess, with the on-base percentage. I don't think well, a 340 on-base percentage is out of the realm of possibility in any way. And here's the thing, and, and I think a lot of us are, I, I know that I still am, very much kind of in the mindset of sort of the, I guess what people refer to as the, the steroids era, where offensive stats were a lot higher. Right now, like I just had to go look it up real quick. The average on base percentage last year, excluding pitchers, like I've taken pitchers out of the sample, was only 326. So Hamilton's basically, you know, right at average last year in terms of his on base percentage. Um, And, you know, a lot of us have always said if he could be average in terms of on base percentage, he would be a good player. And he's right there. Yeah. He is. Yeah. And, and 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 he's at an at an age when you would expect he might be able to improve a little bit, and the fact is, if he's a, an above average on base guy, with everything else he, else he brings to the table in terms of base running, he's he's the I think the best base runner in the league. So you add that, there's no there. he's the best base runner in the league. There's no there's yeah. no competition there. And, and so uh, to me, the way you view that on base percentage, you bump it up a little bit because once he gets on, uh, he's such a threat. Uh, it's uh, he, he's such a threat to score on more a greater percentage of his times on base. I know I, I you know I I get a little bit of a hard time about being a Billy Hamilton booster and and I play that up a little bit and I, you know it's fun, but I, I'm telling you I think this may be the year. I hope I'm not deluding myself. I think this may be the year where Billy Hamilton becomes an all star. Oh, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised. Like especially if he can stay healthy, I think it's it's very possible. Well, I think you've hit on the number one concern. He's not been able to stay healthy, and uh, and the way he plays, you know, I've always said it reminds me of Eric Davis. Not in terms of his production, certainly, because Eric Davis is one of the you know probably five best players I ever saw play live when he was healthy. But in, just in terms of crashing into walls and diving and you know sliding into base, and he's just. Not reckless necessarily, but a little bit. And so uh, a full season of Hamilton will be so much fun to watch, I think. It'll be interesting anyway. Yes, agreed. Now, your guy, your, your number two guy in the lineup that you proposed in this best-case scenario, I think probably raised a few eyebrows, although I know you're a huge fan of this guy, Jesse Winker. Yeah, you know, when 
all of the like sort of announcements were made in a big hurry as spring training was getting started that, you know, these, this player has this position and whatnot. Winker wasn't in the picture. And then kind of a couple days later, um, there was a piece, I, I can't, it was from one of the Inquirer guys. I can't remember if it was Trent or Zach. So I apologize to whichever one of them, uh, wrote it and isn't getting full credit here. But, um, but anyway, where, where price basically said that he kind of hoped that Winker forced the issue where, you know, and so I kind of wonder, and I, and I feel like Winker has kind of had that, that thing where people are waiting for him to force the issue. So I don't know. It kind of made me wonder if he could in fact hit his way into the lineup. Um, you know, he the the only rub on him really from last year is that the power wasn't there, and he was dealing with a wrist injury last year. Um, so if if that's fully healed and they like what they see, and he does force his way into the lineup, I mean, I I think Jesse Winker is really important to this team, especially until Nick Senzel arrives, because he's a legitimate threat to get on base. Like he's not Joey Votto, but nobody is, as we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but he is a very, he's very, very good at getting on base. He's never going to have a ton of power, but if he gets on base as much as he's capable of, he'll have more than enough power to make up for it. Yeah. You know, I, I would love to see Jesse Winker this spring hit, you know, six or seven home runs, you know, something like that, even if it's a fluke, you know, because yeah. you know how people view these spring training games. Just just, just should demonstrate that he's got, he has a little bit of pop in that bat and really, you know, hit 400 or something in the spring and say, and, and make the powers that be say, we got to have this guy. Listen, I like Adam Duvall. I know you hate him. I like, I like Scott Schebler a lot, actually. I'm, I've, I've, the more I've seen Scott Schebler and, and seen what he can do, I, I like Scott Schebler. But I, for the long-term success of this organization, the best-case scenario, uh, and this is the best-case scenario podcast uh, today, is that he does force his way onto the team, either open by opening day or really early in the season. You project a best-case scenario, a 360 on on-base percentage. I, I think that probably is best-case scenario, but on the other hand... Oh, that, I mean, that's not best-case, best-case. Well, that's... Yeah. That's seventy percentile. I mean, best case scenario, he gets on base forty percent of the time. Right, right. Uh, but and, and that's sort of what I was going to say. I don't think that's uh, too far outside of what he, you know, I think a three forty, three fifty be almost guaranteed, along with yep. what you project as a three hundred batting average. And, and if you can do that and get on base, especially in the number two slot ahead of Joey Votto, you're going to score a lot of runs. And uh, you're going to uh, and when you when Jesse Winker scores a lot of runs, it means the Reds are scoring a lot of runs, and that's good. Uh, especially if Billy Hamilton's getting on base too. So. All of a sudden, this offense starts to look like if, if Hamilton can uh, get on base at a 340 clip, Winker at 350-360, ahead of Votto, all of a sudden it starts to look like a pretty uh, a pretty good offense. And you know, hey, 81 wins might be a, a low projection. You know, and here I'll I'll give a a little scouting on Jesse Winker too for anybody who wants to pay attention in spring training. If you want to see if Jesse Winker's power has come back, and this is just I, – I watched him a lot last year, and this was just my observation. Watch how far balls go when he hits them to left center. He had – in Louisville, the the wind blows in from left center almost constantly because it comes right off the river. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry, everyone. I, have, I just finished a cold, so I still have a little cough. Um, but I saw a whole lot of his balls die – he had a lot of doubles to left center, and he had a lot that kind of were warning track fly balls. So if in spring training he's he's getting some decent power to left center, that's that's a good sign. 
Yeah, you kept saying that last year. Uh, and for those of you that, that don't remember, Jason uh, attended a number of Louisville Bats games and did some great work for Red Leg Nation uh, at, at Louisville. And you kept saying that all all summer and fall. Man, he keeps these balls keep just dying on the warning track. Or I swear, if you gave him an extra thirty feet, he'd have ten home to spread out. He'd have ten home runs, ten more home runs. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the Reds don't act like they're that concerned about his power potential. Um, and, and you know, with the wrist injury, we saw it with Jay Bruce. If you remember, it does. It saps your power for uh, twelve months, eighteen months. It just does until you get it one hundred percent back. Uh, and that's uh, we've seen that a lot of places. So, so Jesse Winker, best case scenario, he he fights his way into the lineup, and uh, you slot him into that second spot, and everything's everything's good. Now, number three, and and I love what you said about. I'm going to quote what you said at Red Leg Nation about Joey Votto's projection. You projected 330 batting average, 460 on base percentage. 570 slugging and seven wins above replacement. And the first thing you said was, what's scary is that this doesn't even feel like an especially optimistic projection. And, you know, maybe for a 33-year-old guy, ordinarily you'd think that, but it really doesn't feel like the way we've seen him hit the last two years. If he did that, I wouldn't bat an eye. Yeah. I Well, and, you know, the, the thing I pointed out was that in his last um, – 502 plate appearances, which is what you need to qualify for the batting title last year. He hit 367, 466, 616, which is just, that's, that, that's, I mean, that's Ted Williams. Yeah, that's way above your best case scenario. So, and, you know, kind of, there's, there's the kind of famous season um, was 1954, wherein Ted Williams. Um, they, that's where they changed the, the rule to plate appearances from at-bats because Ted Williams walked too much to qualify for the batting title. Um, you want to know, so they got, they, it was just, it was unthinkable that Ted Williams didn't win the batting title in this year when he got 526 plate appearances. You know what Ted Williams hit in 1954? Tell me, Jason. 345. That's less than Joey Votto hit in equivalent time last year. Wow. Um. I'm starting to think, and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm starting to think Joey Votto might be a good at baseball. He he might be, and you know, I think I as much as I talk about Votto, I think he's still seriously underrated, and I will tell you why. Um, there's a particular fact that I've I've tweeted probably three or four times at this point now, because every time I remember it, it I feel like I have to say it. The only player. And, and every time I tweet this, my, my mentions kind of blow up. It's the thing that gets people to be like, whoa, wait, really? And since among players whose careers started after World War II, World War II ended in 1946. So since then, the only player who has a higher on-base percentage than Joey Votto is Barry Bonds. What's the big deal? Bonds is not even in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> valid i mean <laughs> that that is like it's really it's really unfathomable i mean we're talking about you know i'd like to know how many players since world war ii well and it's it's especially unfathom unfathomable and this is going to get super nerdy here so people forgive me but we are very much right now in an era of depressed on base percentage like yeah. historically speaking players do not get on base nearly as much as they have like it's a it's a below average time for getting on base so the fact that joey Votto is the best since world war ii 
when literally no one is getting on base is just remarkable. The on-base percentages right now are right down there with where they were in the 60s when they felt the need to um, lower the mat. Right. Yeah, and, and I've said it a thousand times. I'll say it a thousand more. Uh, you guys need to watch Votto every single at bat because you don't understand. Some of you don't understand. A lot of you do understand and cherish it. What you're, what we're so fortunate to be able to watch every single day. This guy is historically good. And, and you think about since World War II, I mean, we're talking about, think about the, just the Reds players during that time. Joe Morgan who, if you judge by Twitter, is the second best Reds second baseman of all time behind <laughs> behind Brandon Phillips. Um, you know, he was the he was an on base percentage uh, machine, not higher than Joey Votto. And Joey Votto, as a matter of fact, has the highest on base percentage in Reds history at this point. Uh, you know, think about all the great players of the fifties and the sixties and the seventies, and then the eighties. Late 80s, 90s, 2000s, when offense started going back up. And and nobody can touch what Votto's done. It's just, it's scary how good he has been. And I'm with you. I wrote a piece for uh, Cincinnati Magazine last year. And then the headline was, Joey Votto is still underrated. And I'm, I agree. I'm with you. People, I just don't feel like people understand. And, and in Cincinnati, that's probably due to, yeah, you know, he gets some some he gets some criticism that's unwarranted. But even nationwide, where you're not listening to Marty Brenneman do the broadcasts, I don't think people understand how good Joey Votto is at the plate. It just it's he's a genius at the plate. He just is. He, yeah, he just is. That's the genius is the word for it. Joey Votto is a genius. And if he could just play a little bit of defense, he'd be the most valuable player in the world. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, and it's you know that's going to be that's a point to to discuss. It's going to be interesting to see how his defense is this year because he has been very vocal about the fact that he was not happy with the way he played defense the last year or two. And so I, you know I don't know if he he can change anything if he's, if he's even capable of uh, improving it that much at, at his age. But I, I don't tell Joey Votto he's incapable of doing anything. No, me either. Me either. Like, <laughs> and I feel like there have been a and you tell me if you think I'm wrong here, but I feel like there have been a couple times before when he said you know, I'm really not happy with this aspect of my game and I want to fix it. And then he fixed it and also, holy crap, did he have a great year that year. <laughs> yeah, he's so cerebral that you don't put anything like that past him. I agree. You know, the one thing I really want to see out of Joey Votto, I want to see him consent to an interview with Red Leg Nation Radio podcast. What do you think about that one? I think that would be fabulous. Yeah, we got to get him on. I mean, we've had I've, Jay Bruce, we've had... <laughs> we've had Devin Mezzarocco. We, you know, we've had some fun. We had Bar- you, you interviewed Barry Larkin last year for the podcast. We got to get Votto on. Okay, so now we're down to number four in the lineup, and you have the two-headed monster named Adam Duvall and Scott Shebler. And uh, why don't you tell us why you put it that way and what you mean by that? Okay, well, I mean, I think the most likely scenario. This is best case. Remember, not most likely is that you know. Obviously, they've they've both basically been handed the starting outfield jobs unless somebody really falters or gets hurt or or Jesse Winker pushes one of them out of the picture. Um, But in a best-case scenario, and frankly, if I'm being totally honest, I think this is also a most likely scenario. I don't think it's particularly likely that they're both full-time players all year long, which isn't to say it couldn't happen. It could. 
you know, I, what I say is I always want everyone who plays for the Reds to be great. Um, but just looking at the percentages, um, you know, Duvall and Shebler both are kind of the inverse of Winker in that they have quite a bit of power, but their plate discipline is questionable. Um, and players like that, and they're also both significantly older than Jesse Winker, um, which, which doesn't work in their favor. But still, you know, kind of the way I projected them was basically to be kind of below average in terms of average and on base percentage, but with enough power, and, and they'll both play solid enough defense that, that they still can, can really contribute in a best-case scenario. Um, but I, 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 I'll be surprised, pleasantly so, but I will be surprised if they both merit um, full pl- full-time playing time all year long. I, you know, I think that's not really uh, stepping out too far on a limb to say that. Uh, yeah, and I don't have any problem with the Reds sort of saying they're the de facto uh, leaders in the clubhouse, for lack of a better term, in left field and right field. I, I, and this is not has not been well received. This uh, this idea, as you well know, because you've proposed it a number of times, this has not been well received anywhere in in Red Leg Nation. I really wish the Reds could find a taker in trade for Adam Duvall. Uh, I, he's never going to be more valuable than he is now, and maybe no more value, never going to be more valuable than he was at the All Star break last year. But let's you know, I yeah. can't imagine he's going to be any more valuable than he is uh, starting now. And the Reds might be able to get a useful piece for him in trade. Adam Duvall is, you know, like 60 years old. Okay, maybe not, but uh, what is he, 28? going to be 28, 28 this year? I mean, you know, I guess the next three years he could be a useful player. And I like Adam Duvall. He, he, he surprised me. His defense was great. Yeah. He hit a lot of home runs. Uh, he's a fun player. I, I've got no issues with Adam Duvall. Man, I wish they could turn him into a piece that might be able to help the next good Reds team, and and Duvall might be that guy that could help the next good Reds team. But I'm not, I'm not sold. Shebler, I don't know. Shebler is sort of underrated to me. I think Shebler's got some potential, and a lot of that is due to the fact that Shebler's uh, younger. He'll, I think he'll be 26 this year, if I'm not mistaken. He's 26 now. Yeah, this is his age 26 season. Right, age 26 season. So. I see in him a lot of the skills, like you said, uh, that we see from Adam Duvall. If you had to bet, though, l- let's say Jesse Winker forces the forces the decision. He, he's Jesse Winker is going to be starting. How do you see the Reds coming down between Duvall and Shebler? I mean, if I'm if I'm betting, I'm betting on who I think is likely to be the better performer. Because again, if Winker forces the issue, you have to look at what you're seeing from Shebler and Duvall and make a call. Um. And I'd go Shebler over Duvall. And just in terms of the odds, I know people, I can hear the screams coming at. <laughs> Duvall was it, an all-star. Duvall was in the home run derby. It, Duvall is a it, great guy with a great story. You, Scott Shebler's a pretty uh, a pretty decent guy, too, from what I hear. True. They're both nice boys. I'm sure they're lovely, and I'm sure that their mother they love their mothers and all that stuff. Um, but, and it's like, it's like 55, 45. It's not that I think Shebler has a huge advantage over Duvall. Um, he's got a little bit better history of plate discipline. He's a little bit younger. So I give, I give him the nod, but it's it's not by much. I don't, I don't mind the idea that either of those guys is the fourth outfielder who can play, uh, left field or right field. Shebler's even played some center field and uh, played center field in Louisville last year, as a matter of fact. Uh, but 
that if those guys stick around, they're a power bat off the bench. I, you know, I think they can be valuable contributors to the team. I think depending on them to be your cleanup hitter for the next three or four years is probably folly. You know, they are definitely a combo where if the Reds stuck to the platoon that they started with last year, that could be something nice. And it could especially be something nice because then late in the game, you've got one of them on the bench. And if you need somebody to scare the opposing pitcher a little bit, either one of those guys will do it. Yeah, yeah. No, I could I could see that and uh, and wouldn't wouldn't be disappointed in, in that set of circumstances. Moving down to fifth in the lineup, and this is the biggest question mark by far in the lineup oh, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. And that's Devin Mezzarocco. Now your your projection was four and a half wins above replacement, two seventy average, three fifty on base percentage, five hundred slugging percentage and uh, and in a best case scenario that that seems an awful lot like a best case scenario because what you're presuming is when i see the four and a half wins above replacement is that miserocco is relatively healthy for most of the year and and that's that's the question yeah and you know when you you can't talk about the best case scenario of the reds without talking about devin and you know, what, the thing I said in, in, the, in the piece, and, and I'll repeat it here, is what caught me was, and this caught me during the, at the time it was happening even, during the caravan, was that, you know, Dick Williams or whoever would be asked about Homer, and he would be asked about Devin. And with Homer, he was all reticent, and I, you know, clearly you could read between the lines that something was going on, and then sure enough, Homer has gone on the disabled list, and, you know, we're not expected to see him before June. Whereas with Devin, it was always like, no, yeah, you know, things seem to be going pretty good and things are going pretty well. Everything's happening like we want it to. It was a much different tone. And so far, what we've heard in spring training is kind of along the lines of that tone. Like, obviously, everybody is super cautious right now, but it, it kind of feels like everybody's holding their breath a little bit like, oh, yeah, this, this might be OK. And if it is and if he plays and if he hits a little bit, then that's a really different team. Well, I won't be fooled again. Uh, as as the man said, but, yeah, I'm, me neither, frankly. But. <laughs> yeah, we've been here the last two last two springs, and we saw how that ended up. Mezzarocco's been out both years. It's it's a difficult one for me. Devin Mezzarocco has been very nice to us at Red Lake Nation. He's been on the podcast, I think, three times. He's just a great kid, and he works hard. And I wish nothing but the best for Devin. It, if you ask me to bet the ranch. And Jason, I know you know this. I don't own a ranch, but if I did, and you asked me to bet it on Devin Mezzarocco being healthy this year and getting back to his 2014 level, okay, I'm not going to do that. But if Devin Mezzarocco can, and again, this is the best case scenario podcast, if Devin Mezzarocco can get back to his 2014 numbers, or even just approximating them, even getting close to them, and you didn't even project him that high, no, but, I didn't. But if he can, how much does this change what we uh, expect out of this team and what we can expect in terms of run production out of this lineup? I think that you're adding an all-star hitter into this lineup that you didn't that you didn't expect and that no one should expect based upon the last couple of years. But if that were to happen, it's like getting a an all-star free agent added to the lineup that we didn't expect, and and it, and it really changes what my expectations are of what this offense can accomplish. Yeah, I completely agree. And it, and it really moves the timetable up, too. I mean, if Mezzarocco were to rebound and be able to stay healthy, 
then I mean I think realistically the Reds have to look at at, at 2018 as it's time to it's time to get back to the playoffs. Yeah, let's go all in. Um, and you know when we talk about healthy, we're talking about probably 120 games, don't you think? Yeah, he's a catcher. He's not going to play every day. Right, yeah. So if we get 120 games out of Mesoraco at a relatively healthy clip and he's playing hard and he's healthy and he's hitting well, goodness gracious. Next guy on your list was Eugenio Suarez. You projected, uh, you you didn't project, but your best case scenario was 280 batting average, 340 on base percentage, 470 slugging percentage, and then five wins above replacement. And that is optimistic, but... I would not be surprised at all to see Suarez take a big step forward this year. Uh, just everything I've seen out of him, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a I'm fully on board the Eugenio Suarez uh, bandwagon. And if Billy Hamilton were to get traded or something, I may have to turn this into an Eugenio Suarez podcast. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm kind of right there with you. I, I think. Well, for one, you know, we we've talked about the importance of this a lot, but he's fun, like. Eugenio, I mean, he had a rough start at third base last year, but in general, he seems like such a fun guy to have on the team, which is nice. But he, he, he came around really a lot. You know, he had, after those first couple of months of, you know, as hard as people were on him, boy, you know, how long has it been since some of you people stood on the baseball field? The ball gets to you a lot faster at third than it does at short. And if you haven't played third in a long time, and you're in a, all of a sudden has to do it in the major leagues, maybe we can cut him a little slack and give him a couple months to adjust. Baseball is hard, Jason. Yeah, baseball is hard. And, you know, kind of once he adjusted, and he had that horrible slump right at the beginning of the year um, that really kind of threw, threw his numbers off. And it's hard to, you know, I, I, I don't know, but I, it just kind of felt to me like the field was kind of getting into the batter's box with him a little bit, which which is understandable. But once he got past that, he really had a good year. I, you know, um, people don't like it when I point this out, but uh, Suarez was a significantly better hitter than Adam Duvall after the All-Star break. Not possible. Adam Duvall was an All-Star. He was in the home run derby, Jason. He was an All-Star, and that means that he was good before the All-Star break. No, Jason, he's an All-Star. He's All-Star Adam Duvall. They keep telling me that. Well, and he is, and you know what? That's something he will have for the rest of his life, and I won't. <laughs> Exactly. And good for him. I mean, I, you know, let there never be any question that uh, of this. All of these guys are infinitely better baseball players than I would ever have been in any universe. But uh, especially now that Ross Ollendorf is no longer a red. <laughs> yes. Especially now that Ross Ollendorf is no longer a red. But you're right. Suarez, uh, yes. And I'm, I'm one of these guys. Uh, come on. Selective endpoints. You can't just take out this portion of the season when he was bad. I think there's a reasonable explanation for him being bad during that time uh, in terms of he's learning that new position that he hadn't played since he was in winter ball as like a 20-year-old or 19-year-old even. And uh, and once he started getting comfortable, man, this guy was a, he was a player. And he was not only just a, a hitter, but his defense at third base. People want to say that uh, because they saw early in the year, oh, he was awful. But he really got to be a pretty effective defensive third baseman by the end of the season. This is just a kid, and he's still a kid, that has shown me nothing in his uh, sort of early years in the major leagues that make me think this guy cannot be a uh, legitimate major leaguer for the next uh, seven, eight years. And 
and and if he's not a third baseman for the Reds long term, I don't want the Reds to close the, uh, you know, foreclose the possibility that he's the second baseman long term, or even yeah, you know, maybe not shortstop. He has you know he was a shortstop, but and I don't know if he can handle that defensively, but I, he's a guy that I want I want around, and he's proven to me that he's going to be a legitimate major leaguer. I'm I, I'm with I'm with the Eugenio Suarez bandwagon. I gotta admit. Good. Now, but see, that gives me – we talk about second base, and that goes to your next position here when, when you project uh, Dilson Herrera. And, and Dilson Herrera is a guy uh, – and you project him at 280 average, 340 on-base percentage, 430 slugging, three wins above replacement. Not project, I know. It's a best-case scenario. But Herrera is a guy – I sort of go back and forth on him. I look at those minor league numbers, and I think, well, he's got some pop in his bat, probably a better hitter than Peraza. Uh, which is sort of blasphemy among a certain group of of Reds fans, but and the Reds don't seem to be very eager to give him a shot at second base uh, the way things are going. And so some days I think, man, I, yeah, I understand this guy looks like he's a player. Other times I think I see two or maybe three other guys on this Reds roster that I might put ahead of Herrera, uh, given the right set of circumstances. But but you like Dilson Herrera. I do. And I mean, it's largely on the strength of minor league numbers. I think, you know, he and Peraza are almost exactly the same age. I want to say they're within two months of each other or something like that. Um, You know, and actually, incidentally, they do know each other. I didn't know that. But when he came to Louisville, he was like, oh, I played with Peraza before. Um, By which, as far as I could tell, he meant they played in the same league together and gotten to know each other a little bit. Um, But I mean, he, you know, just looking at his numbers, he kind of profiles as more likely than Peraza to be an above-average hitter, which isn't to say he will be. I, I think I think it's good that the Reds have such a glut in a way of middle infield prospects because I think that they every single one of them has a red flag where you can be like, mm, this might not work out, but you assume that surely they can fill second base and shortstop between the, between the bunch of them. Um, I personally think, and again, this is largely on the strength of his minor league numbers, that Herrera is a good bet, um, is the best bet of the group to pan out. I I would be surprised if he couldn't at least be a major league average player. Wow. Um, And and one of the things I think that people really, really need to pay attention to um, when it comes to minor league players is how old they are relative to their league. And Herrera has always been between like two and six years younger than the average player in the league. So he's always playing against players who are significantly older than him. And he's still been a really good hitter at every level, except the majors where he has very limited playing time. And even in the majors, he's been, you know, almost exactly a league average hitter. So it's not like he's embarrassed himself in his, like, you know, 160 plate appearances in the majors. Um, he's He's been a young player, and he's been a good player at, at every level he's been at. So to me, that looks like somebody who's who's a decent bet to at least be average. And you've got Jose Peraza in your eighth spot in this lineup, that you uh, in the best-case scenario lineup, and... Do you get the sense, and I may be reading way too much into this, you get the sense that they're not completely sold on Herrera because they've announced way before they should have announced it, I think, that Peraza's their starting second baseman in the in the wake of the Brandon Phillips trade with no 
concession that Dilson Herrera could could win that spot or could could play his way into it. Does that surprise you, or do you feel like the Reds maybe are a little down on him, or am I just? It surprised me, and maybe they are. You know, the, the Reds know more than I do. Um, obviously, um, it might just also be uh, something as simple as you know, Peraza did get a good half season in the majors last year, yeah, and just might feel kind of comfortable with him. You know, when um, the impression that that he pretty much gave everybody in Louisville. Um, was that including me when I spoke with him was that he is, you know, a very much a team player and I'll do whatever you ask me to do player. And I think we saw some of that when he came up in Cincinnati and they had him kind of, you know, jumping all around the diamond. Um, so, you know, it, it might be just kind of that deal, you know, it's, it's hard to know. And it's the kind of thing where if you were even to manage to get a hold of somebody in the reds and ask you, there's no way they'd tell you. Um, what they really thought. So it's hard to say. I agree that that just kind of naming him the second baseman um, by default is an interesting choice, but it, there could be any number of reasons why that happened. Yeah, you know, and and before we close the close the book here on the uh, lineup and start talking about the the pitchers, people have talked about this log jam. People have talked about this, uh, you know, the the glut of players the Reds have for middle infield. But here's the way I look at it. Uh, the Reds, let's let's presume that Nick Senzel, last year's uh, first-round draft pick that appears to be on the fast track, is going to be the Reds' third baseman of the future. Let's, let's presume he pans out. Let's presume he's not Brandon Larson, and he's not Brandon Larson. And so what that tells me is the Reds have four, <laughs> four players. Uh, you need to go to the doctor, Jason. I'm not going to die. <laughs> the Reds have four players. Uh, Eugenio Suarez, Dilson Herrera, Jose Peraza, and the guy I'm starting to really get on board with, uh, a guy they picked up on waivers from the A's, Arizmendi Alcantara, and and you guys need to go look at this guy. I I think he's I think he's got a chance of being a, a legit major leaguer. They got those four guys with, and they need to fill two positions: second base and shortstop. I think that. Things have to go really wrong for the Reds not to be able to come up with two solid players in the middle infield out of that group of four players. I, I can imagine that there won't be at least two of them that pan out to be really, uh, yeah. uh, really good players. And so that excites me. I, I think that's the the most exciting thing about the, what the Reds have done the last couple of years in the rebuild is that we're guaranteed, almost guaranteed when you when you Votto at first. I guess guarantees a strong word, but. You feel good about the infield situation. Yes, everywhere around the infield. Yeah. And so that's 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 exciting going forward. And uh, if Hamilton pans out and Winker pans out, you're pretty good in two-thirds of your outfield. So. Um, and I want to talk about Arizmendi Alcantara, but we just can't. We don't have time today because I want to I want to push forward. We have uh, talked way too much about the hitters. Let's briefly jump into the rotation and what you saw as the best-case scenario, and, and I'm going to give the, the five that you named as the best-case scenario and let you go wherever you want with this. Anthony DeSclafani, Brandon Finnegan, Amir Garrett, Cody Reed, and Homer Bailey. Remember Homer Bailey? Uh, those five guys are the are – the, that's your best-case scenario starting rotation. Tell me about that. Okay, well, I guess – what I'll address first is the, the, the thing a lot of people are going to see missing is uh, Robert Stevenson. And, you know, I think 
best case scenario, two out of three of Garrett Reed and Stevenson pan out. Which two of those three, honestly, your guess is as good as mine. Um, I'm taking Garrett and Reed because there seems to have been some friction with Stevenson within the organization uh, that I haven't seen with Garrett and Reed. And so, and, and then also, frankly, just from what I've seen, um, I, I saw those three a lot last year. Um, I, I saw probably half of all of their starts or something close to it. And at least when I was in attendance, I saw Garrett dominate plenty. I saw Reed dominate plenty. And this is in AAA I'm talking about. I didn't see Stevenson ever really dominate. He had a good inning here and there, but he was kind of, uh, you know how often the kind of rub is with young pitchers is that they're inconsistent, right? But it's kind of encouraging because they have starts where they're out of this world. Um, and that was the, the deal with, with Garrett and with Reed both. They would have starts where they just didn't have it, and you could see from the first inning they didn't have it. But then they had starts where they really did have it, and you saw what they could do. With Stevenson, honestly, if he, I had known he was the number one prospect, I don't, you know, I'm not sure what all the fuss, I would have known what all the fuss was about. Um, certainly he throws the ball hard, but he walks a lot of guys, and he walks a lot of guys every start, um, which isn't true for Garrett and Reed. Um, so I kind of pick those two to be the ones I think are most likely to pan out. But again, it's your guess is, is probably as good as mine. Um, in terms of the sort of more established pitchers, I mean, I'm kind of just, just assuming that Disco and Finnegan progress as we would hope for them to progress. Uh, you know, uh, Disclafani, I think, is the ultimate high floor pitcher. You would be shocked if he wasn't decent and not surprised if he was an all-star. Um, Homer, I mean, best case scenario on Homer at this point, and it's hard not to be awfully twitchy about with him like you are with Devin at this point. But best case scenario, best we can hope for from him is 100 innings pitch. Uh, if he's coming back in June, I, I, I can't possibly slot him for more than that, especially coming off two years of barely pitching at all. Um, so, I mean, overall, the best case scenario is that you have kind of uh, – Kind of a lot like the situation the Reds had when they, they first started their, their recent run of being good, which is maybe nobody who on an uh, every-night basis blows you away, but every night you're facing a pitcher where you can't take them for granted. And, and you projected Homer Bailey as your number five starter, basically, in this uh, – well, not projected. I keep saying that. Uh, but Homer Bailey in this uh, scenario is your number five starter. That's not outside the realm of possibility. Uh, Di Sclafani at the top of the rotation, I think that's what we all expect. And uh, he's he's young, he's talented. Brandon and say is number five only because of the injury. Otherwise, right. he'd be the obvious one or two. Right, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, he's a talented pitcher who, under this these circumstances, may be, he's not an afterthought, but you, you can't count on him. Uh, we we all think Disco is going to be your, your number one starter, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of Anthony Di Sclafani. Brandon Finnegan at number two. This is uh, a – he's a guy that people have had mixed opinions on, uh, even within our writers at Red Leg Nation. I've been one that thinks that he's going to stick as a starter. Uh, I don't know. He's got some things to work on. I think he's going to stick long-term as a starter. This week at Fangraphs had a really interesting piece where they were talking about some bold predictions for the year. One of those was that Brandon Finnegan establishes himself as the ace of the Reds' rotation. So, you know, if that happens – you know, wow, uh, this this rotation starts looking even better. If that happens, along with, as you say, Garrett and Reed 
hitting uh, close to the top end of their projections, then all of a sudden there are no weak spots here. Um, and, and maybe Stevenson becomes a guy. I, you know, I, don't, I haven't seen Stevenson pitch enough. The, there's just different reports on him. Uh, there's a reason why he was a top prospect, the number one pick, and has always been on all the Baseball America and uh, Baseball Perspectives prospect lists. You know, I don't know. There's there's a reason. Maybe it'll happen. But if just, you know, out of Garrett and Reed and Stevenson, and then you start talking about guys like Rookie Davis and, and down the line Sal Romano, some of these guys pan out. All of a sudden, you've got a pretty effective starting rotation. And so, I don't know. You know, again, we're trying to be a little optimistic here, but I wish Michael Lorenzen was in that that group, but, uh, for reasons that, uh, we've talked about a thousand times, but man, that's starting to look like a pretty good rotation. And then this bullpen, even, I don't think, I don't think it's even a best case scenario. I think under every scenario other yeah. than everybody getting injured, this bullpen is going to be drastically improved over last year's bullpen. Do you think so? I mean, it would be hard not to be, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean the, the bullpen this year, they're just going to be better. They just are. Um, There's no, they signed a good pitcher and then they, they have established that they're going to have two other good pitchers in the bullpen. And really, I mean, for any bullpen, what you really look for is three, you know, possibly elite level relievers. And if you've got that, then, then you're in good shape. So the, the Reds should have that. There is absolutely no reason, no reason whatsoever why they should be as bad as they were last year. I mean, we are definitely not going to see, you know, uh, Ross Ohlendorf up there or, you know, God help him, poor J.J. Hoover, you know, getting just destroyed like we did this year. There's just no reason that that should happen, um, and I can't anticipate that it will. Yeah, there, 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 there won't be any Ollendorfs or Hoovers, and and I have you know I don't have any bad thoughts about either of those guys, but there, there won't be any of those guys in this bullpen. There shouldn't be. I think best case scenario, I really mean this, the Reds could have one of the best bullpens in the National League after having a historically bad one last year. Because you think about Lorenz, Michael Lorenzen, Rosell Iglesias, and then the free agent acquisition Drew Storen. Those guys could all be, you know, if you if you look the right way, could all be closer types for what, whatever that means. I wonder if you even have to look the right way. Yeah. I think these guys are all closer types. I mean, Storen is established as a closer. Um, he had, had, you know, he's had an issue last year. But, I mean, those are all, those guys are closers. All of them are have, have the capacity to do that. And, and, and in your best case scenario, you have uh, Scott Feldman, another free agent acquisition, as uh, demoted to the pen because some other guys have forced their way in, I think most likely Feldman, certainly at the beginning of the year, is going to be in the rotation. Yeah. But uh, you got Feldman in there in this scenario. But then you got guys like Singrani, Tony Singrani, and Jumbo Diaz, and there are they have their detractors. But on the other hand, those are those are solid relief guys. If you're not dependent on them to close out games, you need your middle relievers, and and you need your long guys who are going to because you know. Even in a best-case scenario, every once in a while, you need a relief pitcher in the fifth inning. Right, and, and Singrani and, and Jumbo Diaz, and, and there are some other guys that uh, we, we got uh, this spring. I, I just don't see any scenario under under which they're not a, 
I don't want to say a good bullpen, but if they're a below-average bullpen this year, I will be extremely surprised. Um, there'll be a lot of injuries or something, I would think. So, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Okay, well, you made the point to say in your piece, and let's say it here: this is not this is not real. Okay, the odds of all this actually coming to uh, coming to pass are not great. Um, but it's there's no question that it's not impossible. And isn't that what springs for, Jason? To to imagine right. what could be? What could be, yes, very much. Yeah, and I, I just, uh, I, I like to imagine at this time of year, what, you know, what could be. And if this all happened, the Reds are fighting for a playoff spot, and who knows at that point. It'll be a year that everyone in Red Leg Nation, all of us fans, will remember for the rest of our lives and be telling our kids about. So, um, so Jason Linden, you heard it here first, is predicting that the Reds will win the World Series in 2017. That's right. I went 163 games on the way there. Exactly. So, All right, Jason, anything else you want to talk about, buddy? I think we're good, Chad. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's call this one. Uh, let's wrap this one up. Yeah, this is Red Leg Nation Radio, the podcast of RedLegNation.com. We follow the Reds. We write about them every single day, basically, at RedLegNation.com. We've been doing that since 2005, which is amazing, and still going strong. Still love talking about these Cincinnati Reds, for better or for worse, wherever they are in the rebuilding cycle. Uh, and we hope we're closer closer to being competitive than uh, than rebuilding. You can subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio. As I said earlier, iTunes uh, should be on Stitcher. By the time you download this, it might be on Stitcher already. Uh, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, you should be able to subscribe. Go to RedLegNation.com, and there will be a link up at the top to Red Leg Nation Radio where you can find all that information. You can follow Red Leg Nation at Red Leg Nation. You can follow Jason at Jason Linden on Twitter. And uh, he's not a very good follow on Twitter except for in the mornings when he does his Coffee with Votto segment. Jason, you got to keep that up, my man. I, I, I will do my best. <laughs> and he's a great follow all the other times as well. Uh, I'm at Dotson C, D-O-T-S-O-N-C on Twitter. And uh, you can find us talking about those Cincinnati Reds every single day. And you'll find us here every week talking about the Reds on Red Leg Nation Radio. For Jason Linden, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.